Hello and welcome to the Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Today, our senior pastor, Perry Duggar, will deliver a message in our series about the life of Samuel the prophet. If you would like to follow along with this message, you can do so by turning in your Bible or your Bible app to 1 Samuel chapter 7. You can also find our weekly message outline and many other resources on our website at brookwoodchurch.org or on our Brookwood app. Have you experienced the blood of Jesus Christ? Do you know what it is to be set free? To know the power that's found in that forgiveness. We continue our series today, Belonging to God. And the title of today's message is Return. Now, the theme verse, if you take out your message guide, the outline is on the first two panels. And the verse I've chosen For the theme today is from Acts chapter 3, and this is the New International Version. Repent then and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. So this return is a reference to repentance. It's, It's a reference to going in a new direction, stepping away from self and sin, and going toward God. You know, we think of sin as somebody doing something awful, but sin is really just missing the mark is literally what it means. And it means being out of alignment with what God wants. And so if I'm living according to what I want, I'm out of alignment with what God wants. The word repentance in Greek is metanoia, Literally, the meta means after, noia means understanding or thinking. So it literally means to think differently. Do you know that your life follows your thinking? What about when we say, you know, you do something and you say, well, that wasn't like me. Was it? Do you always do what you really want to do? Come on, be careful, do you? What do you think, Eric? Do you always do what you really want to do? You do. Now, you may wish you wanted to do something different. You may think you ought to have done something different. But we always do what we want to do. And we always respond in a way that's reasonable according to our thinking. So if there's something out of alignment in our lives, there's something away out of alignment in the way we're thinking first. Because our lives and our actions follow our thinking. And when we repent, it means that we change, or rather, actually, that God changes our understanding, our thinking, which alters our behavior and changes the direction of our lives. So repentance isn't just thinking, it's also moving in a new direction. You can think of repentance as being almost an about face. Instead, I'm following what I want to I'm following what God wants. And so repentance is a radical, moral turn away from a self-directed life, which is sin, to a God-directed life. 
So here's when we start, as we start, is it time for you to return to God? Is it time for you to begin thinking differently? So let's return to the life of Samuel. Now we're on page 229. I'm in chapter 7. And remember, let me bring you back up to date last week. Remember, the Philistines had defeated Israel in battle at Ebenezer, killed 30,000 soldiers, stole the Ark of the Covenant, and took it into their land. God afflicted them with something bubonic plague, but it was rats and tumors. And so they, they sent the ark back on a cart. You can read that fascinating story. And it returned to a town, Beth Shemesh. And it was a Levitical town, which meant it was occupied by people who worked in the tabernacle, who knew how to handle the implements and the items of worship in the tabernacle. Well, the people who have the ark, they decided they don't want any more because what happened? They looked inside it, and God did what? Killed 70 of them. Now, the Scripture in Numbers had explicitly said, do not lift the lid on the ark. Do not ever, because it was disrespectful. And so, these Jewish people, these Levites, then contacted another town, Kiriath-Jerim, and said, well, how about you coming and getting this ark? It'll attract a lot of tourists, by the way. But they saw it as this implement that they controlled, and they didn't show respect. And so they said, you guys, please come get this. Take it away from us. It's, it's been harmful to us. And we don't know how much of this story they told. But so the men, Kiriath Jerim, came to get the ark of the Lord. They took it to the hillside home of Abinadab and ordained Eliezer, his son, to be in charge of it. The ark remained in Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. And during that time, all Israel mourned because it seemed the Lord had abandoned them. Now, it seemed it because God never abandons his own, though he may step away. You experience that? He may be silent. He may step away. Now, this word mourning in the Hebrew, doesn't just mean, you know, an emotional grief. It actually includes the idea of calling on God, on seeking God for help. And other translations uh, report it that way. But notice that in the past three chapters, there's been no mention of Samuel other than chapter 4, verse 1. That's the last mention of Samuel. And perhaps once Eli died and the tabernacle was likely destroyed at the same time by the Philistines, Samuel probably went back home. So he probably came back home at least as a, as a young teenager. And he remained there 20 years, and we hear nothing about him. And then he arrives back on the scene to lead the people of Israel back to God. So we're going to look at what returning to God includes now, we're using this story, which occurred 3,000 years ago. And you say, well, the circumstances are so different. How can it relate to us? All the Word was written for us. Because though the circumstances are different, the culture is different, the human condition 
is no different. So returning to God includes first repentance. Verse 3. Then Samuel said to all the people of Israel, if you are really serious about wanting to return to the Lord, get rid of your foreign god and gods and your images of Ashtoreth, which really those two statements are inclusive of all their gods. They had a number of gods. They collected them. Determine to obey only the Lord, then he will rescue you from the Philistines. It's interesting. There's a condition there, isn't it? Determine to get rid of your gods, determine to return to the Lord, then he will rescue you. Do you think God expects something of us before he acts? Y'all answer me. What do you think? Now, you sure about this? God doesn't respond to our indifference. We kind of so have, we've almost overplayed grace and we think, well, God is just there to fix all our problems. But we misunderstand salvation. You know, we think, well, salvation means a key into heaven when I die. But salvation is truly an invitation into a lifelong relationship. And so this interaction between us and God is based on what kind of relationship do you have with him? Now, Samuel knew that the people needed to seek God, not just for his deliverance from the Philistines, but he needed, they needed to receive, seek God to restore their relationship with him, not merely because they needed his help. 2 Corinthians 7.10. You know, it, 7, 2 Corinthians 7.10 talks about we can have sorrow for something that happens. You, you did something, you feel guilty about it, you have remorse, but there's a sorrow that leads to God. But there's also a sorrow that leads to death. Regretting something you said or did, feeling badly because it's been exposed, isn't necessarily a sorrow that is repentance and leads you back to God. It might leave you farther away from God. Second Corinthians 7.10, read that one. Now, if these Israelites were really serious about returning to the Lord, they would demonstrate it by eliminating the idols, by obeying God alone, and then he would rescue them. But they had to return to him seriously, sincerely, with all their hearts, which is what repentance is. Today, do you need to be rescued by God? Is there a situation in your life, at work, at home, at school, and you need God's intervention? Well, the first step, you have to answer. The first question you answer first is then do you want to restore your relationship with him? That's the condition. So first, will you get rid of idols? You say, well, I don't have any of those statues. Well, an idol, as we learned last week from 1 John 5, 21, is anything that takes God's place in your life. It might be possessions. It could be some position that you're just dying to have or, or a job you have, and so you have no time for anything but work 
No time for God, no time for people. It might be some power that you want to have and you want to wage, so you're concentrating on building your base. It could be a person. It could be someone that you're so infatuated with, nothing in in the world matters except this person. It could be even a family member. It might be some preoccupation, some preoccupation that distracts you from God or prevents you from having enough time to know Him or to serve Him. It could be something as unworship worthy as entertainment. Just television can distract you because it soaks up your time, doesn't it? And you think, well, I don't have any time to hear from God. I don't have any time to speak from God. You might have to turn the switch off. Could be sports. Could be hobbies. Could be the internet. Might be media. I know some of you think you, it would kill you if you didn't know what someone had written on your wall. <laughs> Try it. Try it a few days. Then, and, I, and I, want you, I want God to show you what are the idols in your life. What are the things that are in the way of you pursuing relationship with him? Ask him right now. God, you show me. You expose this to me. And then, will you obey God alone? Which means living your life the way he wants you to. Which may not be the way you want to right now. And if you want to live the way God wants, guess what? You have to know what he wants, which again means you have to have time with him. You have to spend the time reading your Bible to know what he says about about matters and issues, how you should live, what what are the moral steps you should take. Some time praying, which is you speaking, but more important than speaking is you listening. Worshiping which isn't just singing, but it's offering yourself to God and expressing adoration to him. Also engaging with other believers who help us. We grow best with others and even serving. Serving the least of these along with others. Well, how did the people accept this challenge? How did they respond? Verse 4. So the Israelites got rid of their images of Baal and Ashtaroth and worshiped only the Lord. Now, Baal, Baal wasn't originally a Philistine god. Baal was a Canaanite god. And so Canaan was the promised land that was given to Israel. Now, the Philistines, I told you that they came from where? Came from Greece. Today it would be Greece across the Aegean Sea. And so they came in and they just adopted the gods that were already there. Baal was a storm god or a rain god. And so they would turn to him when the land was suffering drought, for example. Ashtoreth was the goddess of fertility. And so you wanted your animals to be able to reproduce. You wanted to be able to have children because these people lived through their own labor, whether it be managing animals or planting crops or reaping. And so you needed needed children. So it was important that 
to that the, the, the families be able to have children. So you have the God of storms who provides rain, and then you have the fertility God who causes your animals and, and even your own family to expand. But Ashtoreth, the goddess of fertility, was worshipped through immoral, sensual activities. Now look what's happened, see. These Jews have embraced all the gods. They didn't eliminate any of them. Because they thought, well, if any other God has something to contribute, we want that too. But what Samuel says is you have to eliminate them all. And you have to trust only God. How many things do we trust in besides God? Anything come to mind? It might be an idol. It might be an idol. Has God's Spirit shown you something? Is God's Spirit showing you something right now? You know, I tell you, the most important thing that happens here on Sunday is what God's Spirit tells you, not what Perry says. What are you hearing from the Spirit? Well, those of you who have identified something, you have an image of it, are you willing to remove it? Now, it's normal to feel threatened when you remove something from your life. It can even be something destructive. It can be something harmful. It's interesting how we can take comfort in some truly terrible things. Have you noticed that? Sometimes people remain in marriages where there's atrocious treatment. You know why? It's comfortable, though it's painful. It's normal to feel threatened when making a change. And imagine these Jews, they're getting rid of gods. And they're supposedly these powerful beings who can inflict all kinds of damage. And Samuel says, clear them out. Then Samuel instructed, after they did agreed to throw away their gods, Samuel instructed all of Israel to gather for worship, to celebrate their recommitment. Verse 5. Then Samuel told them, gather all of Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in great ceremony, they drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. What that means... I mean, this practice was part of the Feast of Tabernacles, but this special ceremony wasn't, it wasn't the date for the Feast of Tabernacles, but they're doing the same thing. They're commemorating what God did in the wilderness when God provided water. Remember, it came from a rock. But by pouring it out, they're saying, God, you have given this to me and I'm pouring it out. Because I'm not relying on what you've given me. I'm relying on you. See the difference? God may have filled up your bank account. So are you now relying on that bank account? Are you relying on God? And if you want to test, why don't you empty your bank account? Because that amounts to the same thing. It's the same practice. They also went without food. In other words, they fasted. 
so that they could focus on God. Now, you could say it's because of self-denial. It was self-denial not to eat. But in addition, understand what it took to create a meal. These people have gathered for a worship service. They don't have time to thresh the wheat, to kill an animal, to skin the animal, because eating took a long time. It was an all-day affair to, to prepare a meal. So they're not eating so they can devote all their time and attention to God, to worship Him. And they confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. You know, we know that if we're Christians today, that all of our sins have been forgiven. Is that right? But do we presume on that and tolerate sin in our lives today? Because the sin we tolerate separates us from God. Do you believe that? And if you need an example in your marriage, if you've offended your spouse, is there any separation? Well, they're not going to divorce you, perhaps. You have a marriage certificate. You're in a legal arrangement. There is a, there is a relationship. But you try offending and letting that offense stand. It'll destroy your intimacy. It'll eliminate your connection. And when we tolerate sin, it separates us. It disconnects us from God. Psalm 66, 18. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. He was, he was recognized as the judge at this point because he was standing as the leader of the nation. Now, why do we confess? We don't confess for fear of God's punishment. We confess because we want to restore the relationship. We want to return to God and we know that he will accept us kindly. That he will forgive us fully. That he will love us completely. 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says that. He remains just. And because of the death of Christ, he can forgive us. But see, we, we shouldn't be so concerned that we be held out of heaven. We should be concerned that our relationship with him is inhibited. That's the essence of salvation is being in relationship with God, ongoing. Look at this verse, Romans 2, 4. Here's how God treats us. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? So we don't confess out of fear of God. We confess because we want the relationship right. We want the intimacy. Do you want to deepen your relationship with God? Do you? Well, then what might be separating you from God? Let his spirit show you that has to go. There are many steps we take to grow more intimate. But they all come back to spending time with him to be ensured that, that the relationship is clear. And we worship. We offer ourselves to him. We pray. We fast. We sacrifice. We confess. We give generously. All these ways help develop a relationship with God. You know, 
for several years, I've said, if you don't have a regular relationship with him, just, just begin starting in a simple way. Pray five days for five minutes and fast one day a week. You can fast from a meal. You can fast for a day. You can fast from media. Take away something. Doesn't have to be something evil. It's something that occupies your time and focus that time on God. You know, I fast every Tuesday still. And I, I eat on Monday night, and then I don't eat again until Tuesday night. You say, well, does something spiritual happen? Does the Shekinah of glory show up? Sometimes I just get hungry. <laughs> because I'm not trying to manipulate God. I'm trying to show God I care about this relationship. Sometimes I feel like I experience God's spirit. Sometimes not. But I'm saying, God, I'm here, and I'm doing this just to help me pay attention to you. Returning to God also includes reliance on him. Now, this large public gathering, I mean, people gathered from all over the nation. And Mizpah was a few miles above Jerusalem, so, you know, they, about halfway. And they could travel a long way. So people came from all over Israel, but it is a very small uh, nation. But they were walking, remember. But this public gathering aroused the suspicion of their enemies. Verse 7. When the Philistine rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army and advanced. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. When you commit to God through Christ, or you recommit, and maybe some of you today are wrestling with those very issues. I can almost promise you, you will be tested immediately. Whenever you surrender more to Christ, you are going to be tested. You are going to be tried. You are going to have a struggle, a greater temptation, maybe a new temptation, but you will be challenged when you change directions. Sometimes it's friends, some, it may be demonic, but there is a challenge coming. When these Israelites stood for God, their enemies got interested and they attacked. Now the Israelites were panicked because understand this, even though a large group of them were gathered, they don't have a standing army anymore. They don't have weapons, they might have hoes or sickles and they don't have a ruler to organize an army. So they are afraid. They felt helpless. After the defeat of Israel at Ebenezer, when 30,000 soldiers died and the ark of God was captured, the army of Israel disbanded. Essentially, it was wiped out. In fact, 1 Samuel 4, 10 says, and 11 says, every man fled to his own tent. And what that description means is they weren't collected in an army anymore. And this is 20 years with no army. So they're terrified. They urge Samuel to keep praying for us, plead with God for us at verse 8. Don't stop pleading with the Lord our God to save us from the Philistines. They begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb, at least eight days old, and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him. 
There's nothing wrong with begging God. But first, you have to set what right. First, you set the relationship right. And then it's okay to plead. The burnt offering, the whole burnt offering was a sin offering. And in a sin offering, unlike other offerings, when the priest would get part of the food, the, the meat that was sacrificed to eat, the sin offering was completely incinerated. It was given completely to God, wholly to God. So it was completely burned up. Leviticus 1.4. And compare that sacrifice to these people. See, these people are getting rid of their other gods. They're obeying God fully. So they're giving themselves completely to him. Romans 12.1 says, offer what is the sacrifice? Offer yourself as a sacrifice. Don't hold anything back. Don't, don't hold, say, this is mine. It's not going to be yours. Surrender yourself to God. He doesn't want, Psalm says, he doesn't want an animal, a bull, to be sacrificed. He wants your heart to be broken and to desire a relationship. See, God didn't respond merely because these were his people and they were afraid. He responded because of their repentance, which brought them back into relationship with him. Psalm 51, 16 and 17. And at verse 10, just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, the Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. And the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. Though the Philistines were far stronger militarily. You know, the Philistines didn't allow the Jews to have any blacksmiths at all because they thought they would fashion weapons to fight them. So these Jews, they may have nothing in their hands. They may have had a walking stick. They probably didn't even bring weapons. And they probably would only have a hoe or something like that anyway. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Beth Car, slaughtering them all along the way. Now remember, Baal was the storm god, and yet God defeated these Philistines with a mighty voice of thunder. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over every situation. You know, we can be scared of things in, in our country, in our world. God is still sovereign. And when you're facing trouble, some of you are facing trouble right now. Some of you may have something difficult that you're going to run right into tomorrow at work, at school. You may be being mistreated at school. Maybe in your family, there's, there's division, there's conflict. Do you turn to God only as a last resort? Do you do all the manipulation and pulling the levers and trying everything first? Believing that you only call out to God when you're completely helpless. Instead of calling out to him first, understanding that he is able to change any situation. We pray last instead of first, don't we? 
You're trying to, to, to fix a relationship with your child and you're using discipline and you're yelling sometimes and you're pleading sometimes. How much praying? Because the Spirit of God can work in the heart of your boss, of that kid at school, of your own child. And he can move them with no effort from you. Do you believe that? Then you got to change and you got to start praying and fasting and pleading with God instead of doing all this shuffling around manipulating. Returning to God also includes remembrance and response. Verse 12. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jeshanah. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. He said, well, I thought they got defeated at Ebenezer. That was a town, Ebenezer. This is just using the Hebrew word to name this monument that signifies the provision of God. And so Samuel co commemorated this victory with this stone monument. And it's not the first time this happened. Jacob, remember, he, he slept on a stone and he had an interaction wrestling with an angel. And afterward, he set that stone up and named it Bethel, house of God. Joshua was leading Israel and they reached the, out of the wilderness and they reached the Jordan River. And remember what happened? The Jordan River parted. He said, well, I thought the Red Sea parted. They both parted. The Jordan River parted. And the Jews went across the Jordan River into the promised land. But halfway through, they got 12 stones that signified the 12 tribes. And they stacked up a monument in the middle of the Jordan River. And also set a monument in the land, in the promised land, the land of Canaan. And that monument was a reminder to the Jews that God had helped them. See, these monuments are not only that God helped in this one instance, for example, when the Philistines were defeated, but that God had helped throughout their history and that God would continue to help them if they would trust him, if they would keep his covenant. In other words, stay in relationship with him. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't invade Israel for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines. During the days of Samuel's leadership, God protected his people from the Philistines. In verse 14, they even got back land that was taken. The, Philistine, the Israelite villages near Ekron and Gath that the Philistines had captured were restored to Israel. They're still fighting over those cities, aren't they? They're fighting over the land even today along with the rest of the territory that the Philistines had taken. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites in those days. The Amorites are the Canaanites. So in other words, Israel no longer was bothered by enemies from outside the borders or within the borders. Proverbs 16, 7. Has God ever been faithful to you? How many of you have ever had, I mean, a supernatural display of the faithfulness of God in your life? Let me see. Many in the room. Here's my next question. How often do you reflect on that? 
Do you remember that? Or when the next problem comes, are you panicked again? See, if we reflect on God's gracious provision, on God's protection, supernatural protection, then we will be able to trust him in times of need. You want to measure your faith? How do you act when you're being oppressed? How do you act when something important is threatened? That's the measure of our faith, isn't it? Can we trust God in our time of need? Psalm 66, 16 through 20. You know, we have a monument here at our baptistry. I don't, I don't point it out at every baptism. But these stones that are in front of our baptistry are monuments to the faithfulness of God. I don't know how many of you, how many of you were there when we used these stones? It's, a, it's a, not a large number today. When we were deciding whether to build this building, we had two banquets and and we put these stones on the tables. And if people decided that they would do their part, which means they would give something and they would pray to build this building, we had outgrown our other one, then they put their stone in the bucket of a skid steer. And we took those stones and we put them, not all of them, but some of them there, on the front of the baptistry to remind us of the faithfulness of God because we weren't collecting enough money to build another building. There was, again, no way to do it without God's intervention. But God's been faithful to us. Doesn't mean every day's been easy. Some days have been very hard. Some days the ground's hard and the plowing is difficult and the pulling the weeds in, the, in our church family has been hard. Sometimes the ground's fertile. Some days we have reaped and other days sown. You know, I'm praying for another day of reaping. But we can remember that God has never abandoned us. As Jerry Fry says, God has had his hand on our church. Every day was not a good day. But God was good every day. And God has been faithful And so we have this as a monument. But what monument do you have? Draw a picture on your outline and write on there when God was faithful. Write it in your Bible. Draw. It doesn't matter if you're an artist. Draw a monument right there and look at it, particularly in times of duress, but perhaps even every day. And remember the faithfulness of God. You know, Samuel heard God's call when he was very young. He may have been a child. He may have been eight or nine, perhaps as old as 12 or 13, but not older than that. And Samuel responded by serving God all of his life. Verse 15, Samuel continued as Israel's judge for the rest of his life. God's calling is irrevocable. Just like God's relationship with you. It's irrevocable. It doesn't end. And each year he traveled around setting up his court. First at Bethel, then at Gilgal, then at Mizpah. He judged the people of Israel at each of these places. Then he would return to his home at Ramah 
and he would hear cases there too. And Samuel built an altar to the Lord at Ramah. He began his ministry at Mizpah, but he spent his whole life traveling around. He led the nation politically and spiritually as he taught God's law, as he gave counsel, he's heard cases, he passed judgment. He spoke the word of the Lord to Israel. But the key here to me is that Samuel served God his whole life. You know, I don't know what when you were born again, when you were saved, you do. Are you serving God as strongly today as that very first day, that first week, that first month? Because the relationship began there. It didn't culminate in an event. Samuel served God his whole life. And the nation was blessed because of his obedience. God hasn't stopped doing that. Have you heard God's call? Do you have a call on your life? If you are born again, you've had at least one call then. But along with the call to faith comes the call to service for your God's workmanship created to do the works he has chosen for you. Do, do you want to use your life to serve God? Do you, do you want to use your life to bless others? You know, we think that we bless others by giving gifts. But you know what? The greatest blessing you can do for anyone, including your family, particularly your family, is by living obedient to God. And then the grace and the blessing of God that falls on you will cover all in your family. God will bless others through the faithfulness of your life. Through the conviction of your godly leadership. Matthew 3.8, Ephesians 2.10. So let me ask you. Do you want to serve God with your life? If you do, I want you to stand. If you want to serve God with your whole life, don't stand under pressure because other people are doing it. And here's what we'll do as I'm closing. I want counselors here. And if you want to come, you know, we don't have the kind of altar most of us think have grew up on. We just have the front of the stage. But counselors will be here. You come on, counselors. If you want to come and say, you know what? I'm, I'm ready to stand for God. Come and pray with someone. If you say, you know, I've, I've been in sin and I want to repent. These people will be completely confidential of anything you want to confess. If you say, God's had a call on my life and I've been resisting it because I know what it'll cost me. And I, I want to I speak it to you and pray with you as to seal my conviction. They'll be here. I just want somebody to pray for me. To deliver me from this oppression I'm living under. They're here. So come. I want y'all to close your eyes though. We'll just rely on these folks to produce the music because I want you to listen to the Lord and say, are you speaking to me?
do I have some business to transact with you this morning. But you come as they sing. God is still calling. His arms are open wide. 
but I'm gonna dismiss all of you to leave quietly. And if you've been lingering, maybe just embarrassed by the number of people, the counselors will remain here and you come forward as others leave. Thank you for coming. Brookwood Church, our desire is to assist you in pursuing a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience transformed life. If you have any questions about this message or you would like to request prayer, we encourage you to visit our website at brookwoodchurch.org forward slash get help. You can also find our message archives on our website or on our Brookwood app. Thank you so much for listening and have a blessed day.